from the Hutterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 46. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, In Lord's Day 45, we learned how important it is to call on the one true God only. Who is this God that we are to pray to? What is his name? And how are we to address him? On the surface, it appears that these are simple questions and that they're easy to answer. Yet upon reflection, we'll see that truly knowing God is not something that comes easily to us. Often our perspectives on God are shaped by the experiences of our lives, especially by the home we've been brought up in and by the way in which we've been disciplined. God reveals himself to us as our heavenly Father. Our understanding of this, of what this means, is shaped by our image of our earthly father. If your dad was harsh, dictatorial, authoritarian, and distant from you as a child, then it's easy to picture your heavenly father in exactly the same way. If your dad was sympathetic, kind, fair, and loving towards you, then your image of your heavenly father is likely to be like that. Fathers, do you see, do you understand the awesome responsibility you've been given as spiritual leaders in your home? How your words and actions will have repercussions for the coming generations? And beloved, do you see how easy it is for us to build distorted images of who God is? through our experiences in life? How on the one hand, a child that's spoiled might view God as Father Christmas, a weak-willed God who panders to every woman fancy, and how on the other extreme, an abused child might see God as a harsh tyrant, an uncaring, self-centered judge who's looking for any excuse to get him or her, to address God properly in our prayers. We need to know him as he really is. And we learn that not from our experiences, but from his holy word. For it's in the Bible that God has made himself known to us. 
It's from the Bible that we learn to know God as he really is. Christ has taught us to see him and to address him as our Father in heaven. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. In our prayers, Christ teaches us to address God as our Father in heaven. We will see that God is highly exalted above us and that God is very near to us. Within theology, the study of God, we always need to be aware of extremes. If you overemphasize a certain teaching, you distort it. That applies very much also to our consideration of who God is and how we are able to relate to him. Within Christendom today, there are many who see God as a buddy, a friend, someone that's on the same level they are. They emphasize God's nearness, his closeness to us. But they do so at the expense of God's majesty and his holiness. They forget that the Lord is God, that we are to worship him with reverence and awe. Others place a very heavy emphasis on the fact that the Lord God is majestic and glorious, a God whom we are to serve with fear and trembling. They see God as the mighty judge of heaven and earth, an avenging power who punishes all those who step out of line. While it's true that the Bible teaches us to fear the Lord, this should not be interpreted to mean that we need to be scared of God. Such people forget the love and grace God has shown us in drawing near to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. That God wants us to serve him with love and devotion because he has saved us from our sins. Our Bible reading from Hebrews 12 teaches us about these things. The writer of Hebrews speaks about how the Lord has revealed himself in both the Old and New Covenants. He brings this message by referring to two different mountains, Mount Sinai in the Old Covenant and Mount Zion in the New Covenant. In highlighting the differences between the two, God shows us how in Jesus Christ, we as his children may now call him our Father in heaven. Prior to making himself known to Israel on Mount Sinai, Israel had been in slavery in Egypt. From their forefathers, they knew that the Lord was their God. During their brutal slavery, they called upon the Lord to help them. But they didn't really know who God was. They were raised in a culture where the Egyptians served many gods. When the Lord called Moses to deliver his people from slavery, Moses asked God what he should say. If the people asked him who God was, it's then that the Lord made himself known as Yahweh, their faithful covenant God. Yet this group of slaves whom the Lord brought out of Egypt had much to learn. They had no respect for God. They didn't really know him in his majesty and power. The Lord called them to worship him on Mount Sinai. We read of the elaborate procedures they went through to prepare for that day. Everyone had to make him or herself ceremonially clean. They fenced off the bottom of the mountain so that no one would touch it. For whatever a person or animal touched it would be put to death. Then the Lord revealed himself 
to Israel. On the morning of the third day, there was thundering and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of the trumpet was very loud, so the people in the camp trembled. The people came out of the camp to the base of the mountain to meet with God. Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, for the Lord descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked. The blast of the trumpet got louder and louder, and then the Lord spoke. His voice sounded forth from the top of Mount Sinai. He declared to his people the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments, The whole scene radiates the majesty and the holiness of our God. And what was the people's response? Exodus 20 verse 18 says that the people were afraid and trembled and stood afar off. They begged Moses saying, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses responded saying, do not fear For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And so our holy God made clear to his people, he was nothing like the Egyptian gods. He was the Lord, awesome in holiness, majestic in power, a God to be worshipped with reverence and fear. So what was the message of God from Mount Sinai? Very simply, God was saying, there is distance between you and me. Your holy God and you sinful people. God is not an idol, a dumb, mute nothing who allows us to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. God is holy, living, the true God. He wants us to realize that. He also wants us to realize our own sinfulness because true worship, true fellowship, true communion with God requires a putting away of our sin and guilt. God is holy. Psalms 15 and 24 speak about this. In Psalm 15, verse 1, David asks, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The answer is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. In Psalm 24, the question is asked again in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who may dwell with God and worship Him and have fellowship with Him and live with Him forever? The answer is given in verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Only a person whose heart has been renewed, who has experienced profound inward change in his attitudes, his understanding, his thoughts, and who has expressed such change in terms of his actions, can come to God. In other words, only a person who is holy and righteous can have such fellowship with God. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed 
are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other places in the Bible we read, you shall be holy, for I am holy, and without holiness no one will see the Lord. We must be holy to experience the holy communion of worship. At Mount Sinai, the people were kept at a distance. Why? Because the people were unclean. They were all sinners, including their mediator, Moses. In Hebrews 12, the writer of this book makes clear that even Moses was greatly affected by God's display of his majesty and holiness on Mount Sinai. Moses said, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that he said, I tremble with fear. It's true, beloved, that the Lord opened the way for his people to worship him in the Old Covenant. The Lord came to dwell among them in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Many of the Psalms show how God's people already had an intimate relationship with the Lord in the Old Covenant. The Lord was Israel's God who loved them deeply. And yet, there was always a certain distance that remained. Only the high priest was allowed to come into the most holy place, and that only once per year on the Day of Atonement. Sin caused a separation between holy God and his covenant people. Beloved, the message from Mount Sinai is application to the way in which we address God in our prayers. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven. The words, in heaven, are meant to remind us of how highly exalted God is above us. God is exalted in majesty, in splendor, in power, in holiness. He wants us to worship him as Lord of lords and King of kings. He wants us to revere him as the Almighty One. Do we show God the honor and respect he is worthy of? There are those within Christendom who consider God to be a buddy, a friend, someone on the same level as us. That's a disrespectful attitude toward God. At times, our lack of respect is also seen in how we prepare for worship. It's easy to stay up late Saturday evening, having fun and being entertained, without regard for the fact that the next day is the Lord's Day, a day on which we need to be fresh, ready for worship, eager to hear the gospel proclaimed. We also disrespect our Father in heaven when we refuse to put our trust in him. Our God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. He holds the whole world in his hands. He is king over all. The mighty men on earth, even Satan and all his demons, are subject to our God. There's times in our lives when we lose sight of that. Perhaps we've been praying earnestly for something, and God does not give us the answer we want. It's easy to become disappointed in God, to doubt his power or his love. 
we think nothing will ever change, that our hardships and our suffering will continue. And so we pray less. We give up expecting God to answer our prayers favorably. Beloved, we need to remember who our God is. There's a vast difference between our Father residing in the heavens and us living on earth. God is the creator. We are but creatures. God is almighty. We're but weak people made of the dust of the earth. God is holy. We are sinful people. Unless we remember these things, we will not give God the respect he deserves. The writer of Hebrews tells us to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's the way we need to address God in our prayers. Children, do you show God respect when you pray? When your dad or mom says, let's pray, do you quiet down? Fold your hands and close your eyes? Or do you fool around? Do you realize that when we're praying, we're talking to the living God, the creator of this world, the all-powerful ruler of the heavens and the earth? Do you show forth that respect when it's prayer time? Never forget who God is, the holy and majestic and glorious king of all the earth. Revere him, give him the honor due to his name. In our first point, we focused on how God is highly exalted over us. In our second point, we'll consider how, as our Father, God is very near to us. Our Bible reading from Hebrews 12 draws a strong contrast between the Old and the New Covenants, showing how we are much richer than God's people long ago. The writer of Hebrews writes, saying that we have not come to the mountain that may not be touched and that burned with fire. Instead, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. From Mount Zion, we hear a completely different message. Instead of stand at a distance, don't come too close, we now hear the opposite. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to draw near into close communion with God. In Hebrews 4.16, we read, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In Hebrews 10, 19, we're exhorted to have confidence to enter the holy places where God dwells. In Hebrews 10, 22, we're called to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The book of Hebrews sounds forth the message, Come, draw near. Enter into communion with your God. So what has changed 
Why the different messages that sounded forth from Mount Sinai and Mount Zion? How come it's now possible to draw near to the holy and majestic God of heaven and earth? We find the reason in the first verses of Hebrews 1. It makes clear that while in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, now he has made himself known through his Son. Hebrews 1 verse 3 makes it clear that after making purification for our sins, the Son sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is that God's Son, Jesus Christ, has provided purification for our sins so that we can now approach our holy God in Him. Now the question is, how did this purification come about? In Hebrews 9, 11 and 12, we read that Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 12, 24 speaks of Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant through the sprinkling of his blood. Beloved, Jesus Christ has shed his blood to purify us from our sins. And what was the reason he did so? That we may serve the living God, worshiping him, daily calling upon him, living in his presence. Jesus Christ has opened the way for us to be reconciled to God. He has restored us to communion with our Father in heaven. Our catechism emphasizes this point when it states that God has become our Father through Christ. It's through Christ's sacrifice of his body and blood that God has adopted us as his children. It's through the saving work of Jesus Christ that we may now know and that we may call God our Father. Paul speaks about this in Galatians 3 and 4. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. God sent forth his Son to redeem us that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In Christ, the covenant relationship between God and his people takes on a whole new meaning. It has become so much more personal. It's not just a relationship between God and his people. We may know God as our Father. We may know ourselves to be His children. You know why Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father at the beginning of our prayers? He does so because He wants to, us to trust God just as a little child implicitly trusts his daddy. Jesus uses the close parent-child relationship to model how close we can be to our Heavenly Father. 
So we see that in Christ, we can draw near to God. While He is and remains true, holy, majestic God, highly exalted above us, He's also our Father in heaven who desires intimate communion with us. So God is not a God far removed from his children. He has fulfilled the promise made in John 14, 18, that he would not leave us orphans, but would come to us. Almighty God has come to dwell in our hearts with his Holy Spirit. It is this Spirit who intercedes for us when we draw near to God in prayer. Beloved, praying is something we're all familiar with. Most of us have been taught to pray from the time that we were little kids. If things are right between the Lord and us, we will pray regularly each day again. Do you realize what you're doing when you pray? That you're entering into communion with the living God? That we're calling upon our Heavenly Father thanking him for his grace and blessings and asking him to provide all our needs. For many of us, prayer has become habitual. You pray at mealtimes, at the beginning and end of the school day, before you go to sleep at night. Well, to pray at regular times is good. But beloved, do you still know what you're saying when you pray? Or do you pray rote prayers, saying the same words again and again, without thought? Beloved, do you expect anything when you call upon God in prayer? Do you think that he will hear you and answer you? Are your prayers heartfelt communion with God? Or they a customary habit that's lost all meaning? You see, beloved, we are richly blessed to be able to address God in our prayers, to enter into communion with Him, to address the living, the powerful, majestic, and holy God, and to be able to call Him our Father. God is not far removed from us, He's always with us, His Spirit dwells in our hearts. By addressing him as our father, we learn to trust that God will care for us, that he will help us in our troubles, that he will provide our needs. The Lord Jesus gave us a rich promise in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus goes on to compare earthly fathers with our heavenly father. He notes that if your son asks you for bread, you do not give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you do not give him a snake. Christ says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Beloved, when we consider our earthly fathers, we must admit that they're not perfect. 
Even though fathers love and care for their children, they do so with weaknesses and shortcomings. And at times, earthly fathers fail miserably. Their love can grow cold. Sometimes it's possible for them to even forsake their children. Yet we may know that our God is perfect. That his love for his children is everlasting. That as a father, God provides abundantly for all our needs. We have the rich assurance of Psalm 27, verse 10. That when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. What a blessing that we may serve a God who is very near to us and who cares for us. That we may call him our father and rely on him for all we need. How wonderful it is that we may respect him as a God who is highly exalted above us that we may acknowledge his heavenly majesty and glory. On the one hand, we may have a very close, an intimate, a personal relationship with our heavenly Father. And on the other hand, we may adore him as the Almighty One. How rich we are to be able to address God as our Father in heaven. Let us confidently call on his name and expect his rich blessing on our lives. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together Psalm 68, stanzas 3 and 4.